Chapter twenty nine of the Combined Maze by May Sinclair. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Expatriate in Bangor, Maine. Chapter twenty nine. He had seen her home. At her door in the quiet avenue, he had held her in his arms again and kissed her. Her eyes shone at his under the lamplight. He went back slowly, reviving the sweet sense of her a great calm had followed his excitement he was sustained by an absolute certainty of happiness it was in his grasp nothing could take it from him he would raise the rest of the money on monday he would see that lawyer on wednesday then he would take proceedings once he had set the machinery going it couldn't be stopped the law simply took the thing over took it out of his hands and he ceased to be responsible so he argued for at the back of his mind he saw more clearly than ever he could not help seeing something that might stop it all disaster so great so overwhelming that when it came his affairs would be swallowed up in it in the face of that disaster it would be indecent of him to have any affairs of his own or at any rate to insist on them but he refused to dwell on this possibility he persuaded himself that his father was better that he would even recover and that the business would recover too for the last six months ponting had been running it with an assistant under him and between them they had done wonders with it considering and on the sunday something occurred that confirmed him in his rosy optimism his father was having another good day and they had wheeled him into the front sitting-room upstairs in the small back room ransom was getting the children ready for their sunday walk when his mother came to him ranny she said take off their hats and coats dear your father wants them what does he want them for it's his fancy he's getting better i think i don't know when i've seen him so bright and contented as he's been these last two days and so pleased with everything you do for him there take them down dear quick he took them down and led them into the room but they refused to look at their grandfather they turned from him at once they hid their faces behind ranny's legs they're afraid of me i suppose said mr ransom no said ranny they're not but he had to take stanny in his arms and comfort him lest he should cry you're not afraid of gran are you show gran your pretty pinny das he gave her a gentle push and the child stood there holding out her pinafore and gazing over it at her grandfather with large frightened eyes mr ransom's eyes looked back at her they were sunken sombre wistful unutterably sad he did not speak he did not smile it was impossible to say what he was thinking this mutual inspection lasted for a moment so intense that it seemed immeasurable then mr ransom closed his eyes as if pained and exhausted and ranny stooped and whispered kiss him dossie kiss poor gran the child perceiving pity somewhere and awed into submission did her best but her kiss barely brushed the sallow waxen face and as he felt her there mr ransom opened his eyes suddenly and looked at her again and dossie terrified turned away and burst out crying she's shy she's a silly little girl said ranny as he led her away he knew that in the moment when the child had turned from him his father had felt outcast from life and utterly alone mr ransom stirred and looked after him you come back here he said i've something to say to you ranny took the children to his mother and went back 
mr ransome was sitting up in his chair he had roused himself he looked strangely intelligent and alert he signed to his son to sit near him how old are those children he said dossie was five in march and stanny was three in april and they've been how long without their mother it'll be three years next october why don't you get rid of that woman said mr ransome it was as if with effort and with pain and out of the secret ultimate sources of his being that he drew the energy to say it they would never know what he was thinking never know as ranny had once said what was going on inside him but of all impossible things this was what he had come out with now you mean that father of course i mean it well then as it happens it's what i'm going to do you should have done it before i couldn't why not i hadn't the money mr ransome closed his eyes again as if in pain i'd have given it you randall he said presently he had opened his eyes but they wandered uneasily avoiding his son's gaze if i'd had it but i hadn't i'd been doing badly and again his eyelids dropped and lifted things have gone wrong that hadn't ought to if i'd been what i should be there was anguish in ranny's father's eyes now they turned to him for reassurance as if in some final act of humility and contrition he unbared and abased himself he laid down the pretension of integrity his shawl had slipped from his knees his hands moved over it as if having unbared he now sought to cover himself ransome stooped over him and drew the shawl up higher and wrapped it closer with careful tender touches don't worry about that he said your mother'll be all right randall she's got a bit of her own it's all there except what she put into the business you won't have to trouble about her he paused have you got the money now he said i shall have tomorrow probably then don't you wait it'll be beastly work you know father are you sure you don't mind what i mind is your being married to that woman i never liked it randall he closed his eyes his face became more than ever drawn and peaked his mouth opened with short hard gasps he fought for the breath he had so spent ransome's heart reproached him because he had not cared enough about his father and he said to himself he must have cared a lot more than he ever let on the way to the divorce court had been made marvellously smooth for him his mother couldn't say now that it would kill his father but on monday morning things did not go with ransome entirely as he had expected shaftesbury avenue refused to lend him more than ten pounds on the security of his furniture still that was a trifling hitch now that the proceedings had been consecrated by his father's sanction there could be no doubt that his mother would be glad to lend him the five pounds he would ask her for it that evening as soon as he got home but he did not ask her that evening nor yet the next he did not ask her for it at all for as soon as he got home she came to him out of his father's room she stood at the head of the stairs by the door of the room leaning against the banisters and she was crying is father worse he said he's going my dear there's a trained nurse just come she's in there with the doctor but they can't do anything he drew her into the front room and she told him what had happened he was sitting in his chair there like he was yesterday so bright and i thought he was better and i made him a drop of chicken broth and sat with him while he took it then i left him there for a bit and went upstairs to the children dossie was sick this morning dossie 
it's nothing she's upset with something she's eaten and i was there with her ten minutes perhaps and when i came back i found your father in a fit a convulsion the doctor says it was he said all along he might have them but i thought he was better and he's had another this evening and he hasn't come round out of it right he doesn't know me ranny he had nothing to say to her it was as if he had known that it would happen and that it would happen like this that he would come home at this hour and find his mother standing at the head of the stairs and that she would tell him these things in these words he even had the feeling that he ought to have told her to have warned her that it would be so on wednesday evening at eight o'clock when ransome should have been in the lawyer's room at the polytechnic he was standing by his father's bed mr ransome had partially recovered consciousness and he lay supported by his son's arms in preference to his own bed for his bed had become odious to him sinking under him falling from him treacherously as he sank and fell whereas ranny's muscles adjusted themselves to all his sinkings and fallings they remained and could be felt in the disintegration that presently separated them from the rest of ranny ranny's arms being there close under him and ranny's face a long way off at the other end of the room the process of dissolution had nothing to do with mr ransome it went on not in him but outside him in the room he was almost unaware of it it was so inconceivably gradual so immeasurably slow first of all the room began to fill with grey fog and for ages and ages ranny's face and his wife's face hung over him bodiless like pale lumps in the fog then for ages and for ages they were blurred and then withdrawn from him then blotted out this dying which was so eternally tedious to mr ransome lasted about twenty minutes so that at half-past eight when ranny should have been listening to his legal adviser he was trying to understand what the doctor was trying to tell him about the causes the very complicated causes of his father's death and with mr ransome's death there came again on ranny and his mother and on all of them the innocence and the immense delusion in which they had lived in which they had kept it up in the days before ranny's wife had run away from him and before ranny's enlightenment and his awful outburst only the innocence was ten times more persistent the delusion ten times more solemn and more unutterably sacred now mr ransome's death made it impossible for them to speak or think or feel about him otherwise than if he had been a good man if ranny could have doubted it he would have stood reproved from the doctor's manner from his uncle randall's manner and his aunt randall's from mr ponting's and the assistant's manner and from the manner the swollen grief uncontrolled and uncontrollable of the servant mabel he would have gathered that his wife was a good man but ransome never doubted it he spoke he thought he felt as if his father's death had left him inconsolable it was the death of a man who had made them all ashamed and miserable who had tried to take the joy out of ranny's life as he had already taken it out of ranny's mother's face who had hardly ever spoken a kind word to him who if it came to that had never done anything for him beyond contributing infinitesimally to his existence and even this mr ransome had done by accident and inadvertence thinking if he could be said to have been thinking at all of his own pleasure and not of his son's interests for ranny if he had been consulted would probably have preferred to owe his existence to some other parent and even in his last act his dying 
in his choice of that hour of all hours open to him to die in mr ransome had inflicted an incurable injury upon his son he had timed it to a minute and ranny knew it he had had the idea firmly fixed in his head that if he did not go to the polytechnic and find out how to set about filing his petition that wednesday night he would never get his divorce things would happen they were bound to happen if he gave them time and yet that death so ill-timed so disastrous for ranny in its consequences ranny mourned as if it had been in itself an affliction an irreparable loss he felt with the most entire sincerity that now that the humming-bird was dead he would never be happy again on the sunday after the funeral which was on the saturday he sat in the front parlour with his mother and mr and mrs randall listening with a dumb but poignant acquiescence to all that they were saying about his father their idea now was that mr ransome was not only a good man a man of indissoluble integrity but a man of unimaginably profound emotions of passionate affections concealed under the appearance of austerity no one knows mrs ransome was saying what he was thinking and what he was feeling what went on inside him so no one ever knew for all he said about it you'd have thought he didn't take much notice of what happened ranny's trouble and yet i know he felt it something awful it preyed on his mind poor ranny being left like that why it was after that if you remember that he began to break up i put all his illness down to that and then the children you might say he didn't take much notice of them but he was thinking about them all the time you may depend upon it he sent for them the sunday before he died i'm glad he did too aren't you ranny yes mother ranny said and choked it'll be something for them to remember him by when they grow up but they'll never know what was in his heart none of us ever knew nor ever will know now he was a good man emmy and a kind man and just i never knew any one more just than fullymore we were saying so only last night weren't we yes john said mrs randall we were saying you could always depend upon his word and as you say there were things in him we never knew and never shall know and so it went on with tearful breaks and long oppressive silences until someone would think of some as yet unmentioned quality of mr ransome's every now and then in the silences one of them would be visited by some involuntary memory of his unpleasantness and of the furtive vice that had destroyed him and would thrust the thought back with horror as outrageous indecent and impossible they all spoke in voices of profound emotion and with absolute unfaltering conviction we shall never know what was in him always they came back to that they dwelt on it they clung to it under all the innocence and the delusion it was as if through their grief they touched reality they felt the unaltered unapparent splendour and testified to the mystery to the ultimate and secret sanctity of man's soul of all that ransom was aware obscurely he shared their sense of that hidden and incalculable and enduring life but his own grief was different from theirs it was something unique peculiar to himself and incommunicable even he had not realized what was at the bottom of his grief until he found himself alone with it walking with it on the road to southfields he had left the randalls with his mother and had escaped with an irritable longing for the darkness and the open air he knew that the reason why he wanted to get away from them was that his grief was so different from theirs 
for they were innocent they had nothing to reproach themselves with if they had not loved his father quite so much as they thought they did they had done the next best thing they had never let him know it they had behaved to him they had thought of him in consequence more kindly more tenderly than if they had loved him in which case they would not have felt the same obligation to be careful they had never hurt him whereas he that was why he would give anything to have his father back again it was all right for them he couldn't think what they were making such a fuss about they had carried their behaviour to such a pitch of perfection that they could perfectly well afford to let him go there was no reason why they should want him back again to show him all this ranny felt obscurely and the more he thought about it the more it seemed to him horrible that anybody should have lived as his father had lived and die as he had died without anybody having really loved him it was horrible that he ranny should not have loved him for that was what it came to that was what he knew about himself that and nothing else was at the bottom of his grief and it was what made it so different from theirs it was as if he realized for the first time in his life what pity was he had never known what a terrible what an intolerable thing was this feeling that was so like love that should have been love and yet was not for he didn't deceive himself about it as his mother mercifully for her was deceiving herself at this moment this intolerable and terrible feeling was not love in love there would have been some happiness walking slowly thinking these things or rather feeling them vaguely and incoherently he had come to the grove by the public footpath it was there that he had sat with his mother more than six years ago when she had as good as confessed to him that she had not loved her husband not that was to say as she had loved her child and it was there only the other night that he had sat with winnie one time seemed as long ago as the other and it was there that winnie was sitting now on their seat alone facing the way he came as if positively she had known that he would come he realized then that it was winnie that he wanted and that the grief he found so terrible and intolerable was driving him to her though when he started he had not meant to go to her he had not known that he would go she rose when she saw him and came forward ranny were you coming to me yes he knew it now let's stay here a bit i've left uncle and aunt with mother how is she oh well it's pretty awful for her it must be he was sitting near her but a little apart staring at the lamplit road she felt him utterly removed from her yet he was there he had come to her i don't think he said presently mother'll ever be happy again i shan't either she put her hand on his hand that lay palm downward between them on the seat and that was stretched toward her not as if it sought her consciously but in utter helplessness there was no response in it beyond a nervous quivering that struck through her fingers to her heart he went on it's not as if he had been happy he wasn't couldn't have been she fell to stroking gently that hand under her own its nervous quivering ceased you know that funny way he had the way he used to go poppin in and out as if he was lookin for somebody that's what i can't bear to think of like as if he'd wanted something badly and wouldn't let on to anybody about it nobody knew what was going on inside him all these years that's the horrible thing we ought to have known and we didn't there he was poppin in and out and he might have been a mile off for all we could get at him we didn't know anything about him not really he mused that's it 
we don't know anything about anybody ever i didn't know anything about violet don't know now i never shall know come to that i don't know anything about you nor you about me really oh ranny she whispered it was her one protest against the agony he was making her share with him what do we know about anything what does it all mean the whole bloomin show the combined maze they shove us into it without our leave they make us do things we don't want to do and never meant to do i didn't want to care for violet i wanted to care for you i didn't want to marry her nor she me i didn't mean to i meant to marry you but i did care for her and i did marry her i don't suppose he wanted to do like he did or ever meant to and look how he was treated shoved in living his horrible little life down there doing the things he didn't mean looking for things he never got and then shunted like this all anyhow god knows where before he could put a hand on anything there's no sense in it i wouldn't mind so much if i'd only cared for him but i didn't i wanted to i meant to but i didn't there you are again it's all like that and there's no sense in it but you did care ran dear you're caring now you couldn't talk like this about him if you didn't care no i'm talking like this because i didn't care not a rap my god if i thought stanny would ever feel to me as i felt to my father i'd go and kill myself but he won't dear you haven't behaved to him like your father behaved to you said winnie calmly what do you mean you know what i mean at any rate you will know presently when you can look at it as it really is nobody could have done more for your father than you did if he'd been the best father in the world you couldn't have done more doing things is nothing besides i didn't you know i wouldn't go into his business when he wanted me to i wouldn't do it just because i couldn't bear being with him all the time and he knew it i don't care if he did know it ranny you'd a perfect right to live your own life you'd a right to choose what you'd do and where you'd be as it was you never had any life of your own where your father was about i can remember how it was dear if you don't if you'd given in because he wanted you to if you'd been boxed up with him down there from morning till night you'd never have had any life at all not as much as that and then instead of caring for him as you did you'd have got to hate him then he'd have hated you and your mother would have been torn between you that's how it would have been and you knew it else you'd never have left him i say fancy your knowing all that of course i know it i knew it all the time who told you you don't have to be told things like that ranny the hand she was stroking moved from under her hand and caught it and grasped it tight didn't i always know you were a dear she went on you said i didn't know anything about you but i knew that much yes but how did you know i cared for him oh why because you couldn't have called him the hummingbird and all those funny names you did if you hadn't cared and of course he knew that too that's what he wouldn't let on dear the lot he knew it must have made him feel so nice and comfortable inside him to know that whatever he was to do you'd go on calling him a hummingbird you think it did really why don't you remember how it used to make your mother smile well then she seemed to say it was all right that was how she brought him round to sanity when he thought his brain was going and to happiness when he felt it so improbable not to say impossible that he should ever be happy again a fortnight passed in the three days following the death he had not thought once about his own concerns 
he simply hadn't had time to think of them every minute he could spare was taken up with the arrangements for his father's funeral sunday had been given over to mourning and remorse it was monday morning and the weeks following it that brought back the thought of his divorce they brought it back first in all its urgency as a thing vehemently and terribly desired then as a thing urgent indeed but private and personal and therefore of secondary importance a thing that must perforce stand over until the settlement of his father's affairs till finally emerging from the inextricable tangle in which it had become involved it presented itself as it was a thing hopeless and unattainable his father's affairs were worse than anything he had believed for except for that terror born of his own private superstition he had not really looked forward to disaster on an overwhelming scale he had imagined his father's business as surviving him only for a little while and his father's debts as entailing perhaps strict economy for years but for the actual figures he was not prepared and how his father limited as he was in his resources and destitute you would have thought of all opportunity for wild expenditure how he could have contrived to owe the amount he did owe past ranny's understanding into that pit of insolvency there went all that was fetched by the sale of the stock and the goodwill of the business and all that mrs ransome had put into the business including what she had saved out of her tiny income as for ranny's savings and the sum he had borrowed the whole thirty pounds they went to pay for the funeral and the grave and the monumental stone there could be no divorce divorce was not to be thought of for more than two years when he would have got his rise he broke the news to winnie sitting with her in their little halfway grove the place consecrated to ranny's confidences i can't do different he said summing it all up of course you can't never mind dear let's go on as we are it was what violet had said to him but with how different a meaning but winky it means waiting years it'll be more than two before i can get a divorce and we can't marry till six months after that's three years i can't bear to ask you to wait so long don't worry about me i'm quite happy you don't know how much happier you would be me too she pressed her face against his shoulder i don't think i could be any happier than i am you don't know he repeated you don't know anything at all i know i love you and you me and that's enough oh is it it's the great thing winnie do you know that if poor father hadn't died when he did we missed it by a day to think it could happen like that he clinched it with this combined maze has been a bit too much for you and me end of chapter twenty nine recording by expatriate in bangor maine